everyone, welcome back to Stars and Startups. This is your host, Varun Burmidi. Yes, I'm back after a hiatus and I promise we'll build up to about 100 episodes this year. There are 50 odd weeks left. And yes, uh, you can expect an episode every single week uh, from me uh, where I share my conversations with founders with you on this podcast. So for those who wrote in to me and wanted uh, to find out when the next episode is going to be out, well, I apologize for taking a little bit of a break. I needed it. Uh, Now I'm back and super excited to churn out a ton of amazing episodes with Indian founders right here on the Stars and Startups podcast. On this episode, episode 51, I chat with Rajiv Srivatsa, the co-founder of Urban Ladder, who has built Urban Ladder since 2012 with his uh, I am matchmate Ashish Goel, uh, raised a ton of capital from uh, high quality investors like Kalari Capital, Safe Partners, uh, including uh, Mr. Ratan Tata uh, to grow the brand, uh, to becoming one of the most loved furniture retailers online in India. So we talk about that journey and also what he's been up to recently with his new stint at Antler. So let's uh, get right into the show and say hi to Rajiv. Today we have a very special guest. Uh, He's been around, he's been in the startup ecosystem for almost a decade, Uh, probably longer. We'll ask him more about it. Uh, But this is a brand uh, that he has built for the Indian market um, that has probably seen ups and downs like no other brand. Um, He is a a quintessential brand. you know, high achiever. Uh, I am IIT, uh, you know, worked at the large tech companies in India. Uh, he has his own podcast as well. I want to get into a lot of those with our uh, special guest today, uh, Rajiv of Urban Ladder. Uh, welcome to the show, Rajiv. How are you? Thanks, Varun. Uh, always a pleasure. And uh, I'm doing good. The year has started well. Fantastic. Uh, I mean, a lot of interesting news flying around uh, about what you're up to right now, which I'll slowly get into by the end of the podcast. Um, But, you know, uh, you spent about eight years uh, building Urban Ladder, uh, which I think will probably define your life, uh, you know, uh, for the next uh, decade as well. Um, So, uh, you know, from in your words, uh, I want you to kind of take us through uh, kind of the uh, the journey, uh, right? And and um, I, I'll ask you more specific questions, but I'd love to hear your side and and you know how it started and and you know uh, yeah, what is the experience like? I think I'm also philosophical enough to say that no one experience defines anyone for either a decade or any future time. And uh, I think I've been lucky to have a lot of very good experiences. Certainly, Herbal Ladder being one of the more prominent ones. And uh, for me, Urban Ladder, of course, was a a humongous uh, discovery journey uh, on confidence, on what I feel my North Star would be. And it is certainly one big stepping stone into what I'm doing next, right? And if you look at that entire journey over, let's say, a seven, eight-year period, started as a very underconfident, okay, let's go do this. I don't know how I made that big decision from employee to entrepreneur, I think I have to thank my co-founder Ashish a lot there. Uh, So the first two years were, you know, really going uh, super in-depth into even understanding what kind of company we wanted to build, what kind of brand we wanted to be, setting the vision, the values, the core of what we were, making a lot of experiments, failing in a few, succeeding in a lot, setting a super team, I think a super culture in terms of the kind of people we wanted to be 
the kind of ethos on customer service on physical products i think the first two years that way was just really organic learning and trying a lot of things the next two years was crazy scale up crazy capital crazy scale up even the indian startup ecosystem in that 2014 2016 time period there was just a lot of capital infusion and crazy scale up comes with comes with its own learnings as a professional as a founder uh, you know interacting with so many people we started so many more setups uh, we got into so many more businesses we started sourcing from outside india we got into tv advertisements a lot of press a lot of coverage we got ratan tata as an investor we got you know like a you know like a kid suddenly growing up and that's what happened to us also and uh, with that also comes a lot of indiscipline and a lot of uh, you know mistakes that you do as you go through that crazy phase of scale up and you know uh, sort of culminated in our first set of layoffs and you know pullbacks and i would say the next phase was a lot of maturity in terms of pulling back reducing the burn going omni channel retail uh, you know moving from a very fancy office to a you know a far more frugal setup changing our value system i would say altering our value system to be more cognizant of who we were this was the maybe fact 2016 end to 2018 time period uh, you know and uh, i thought we did a pretty good job of that phase right years 5 and 6 the last 7 and 8 you know it's sort of as like a blur right now you know because uh, you know i i don't know how to put it uh, i think we had a specific set of plans and what we wanted to do and how we wanted to go about it we we went into fundraise mode in that 18 19 time period we thought we had a great story uh, i don't think the market felt uh, that at that time and uh, 1920 you know we uh, obviously under delivered in terms of i think where we wanted to be versus where we should have been uh, then covid stuck and uh, personally for me i think that 1920 time period uh i would say just the 18 19 20 time period i was also in a zone where i felt there were just better people than me suited to run that business right which is become more omni channel more efficient and i took that call personally that okay 18 19 if it had been a happy period it would have been great uh you know to do a fundraise and then move out it didn't work out that way right but i still felt 19 middle that okay let me move out because you know it is in strong hands it is with uh these the hands that were better suited to run that business and i moved out in 19 so uh i would say a seven and a half eight year journey but really for me i think it has made me who i am in a way very strongly one my entire founder journey and wanting to help founders in every way possible through the ups and downs of it two is i think i just love the job of creation or the process of creation and creating startups and really that very early stage of creating startups and third is just overall i would say confidence communication people culture product so many different functional aspects uh behavioral and functional i would say i've just become far far stronger i don't think i would have had a conversation or a podcast 8 years back where i would have said more than three words that uh, made sense but i think i probably and hopefully will say more words that make sense but yeah <laughs> there's so much to unpack rajiv thanks so much um you know from uh, when i remember uh, i was in jabong.com at that time when urban ladder uh, you know popped up and i was amazed right i was fascinated um, i believe urban ladder was probably the first d2c brand in india before that word has even thrown around right um, as as a and and i remember my first memory of urban ladder was uh, these facebook advertisements uh, that had thousands of likes on them where you know there were different products um, that were being promoted uh, i'm i'm guessing there was performance advertising uh, based uh, you know 
products that were being driven and which in a way also identified which products people wanted and then uh you know people were pre-ordering at that time and then there was a delivery post a certain date um was that the thesis for urban ladder uh and and you know was even direct to consumer a thought that you guys said you know what well, this is a way to do it i think the because there was no other branding it was an urban ladder brand yes so i think a lot of things in the first two years as i said right which is things that we figured that we got right it was not as much by design but a lot by intent right one we were extremely clear and this is something that obviously gets uh, talked about a lot as well as sort of maybe gets hidden is we were very clear we wanted to build a customer centric brand everything in our values everything in our vision everything the way we operated the way we recruited the way we communicated on social media we were very clear we will do everything that it takes to make sure that customers get the best experience we actually very early on 45 days after launching we even pulled back from all india deliveries because we just could not give the same level of customer satisfaction in other other geographies and you can imagine right that entire startup ecosystem at that time was still very nascent and which startup is okay with cutting off 30% of their business on day one right after just uh you know uh, just launching so we actually did that to say that we will be very customer centric and it showed in everything right that sort of led to what we would call that we were very focused on product whether that was digital product or physical product we said okay what is customer centricity mean is to have a very simplistic experience digitally and a very strong experience on the physical product right customer centricity also meant that when we communicate with the customer whether that's on social media and whether that's on uh, phone whether that's on delivery installation we had on customer centric uh, interaction uh the brand at the end of the day right making it very visual making it facebook centric was more a tactical call honestly at that time right because if you look at it facebook was really up and coming it had still not opened up its news feed we didn't have too much money so we had to figure out low cost marketing channels where we didn't have to spend too much money and we just figured given we were very visual as a category and the search as a category for furniture at that time was still very nascent it had not really taken off right because no one was actually buying or selling furniture online so so we said we will try a visual marketing channel and really facebook was the only option other than display ads display ads made it too uh, you know too generic we were not able to target well enough and facebook was offering these tools for targeting based on people's interest and we just went so in depth in it in terms of uh, you know understanding what kind of likes and what kind of segments work for you know for us we actually became a case study for facebook to go and sell to every advertiser in india and really i remember in 2013 there was a forum that facebook organized very early days of them opening up the news feed in a panel there were you know it was a day full of sessions there were seven sessions by facebook international facebook india head and this and that there was one session by one company that was urban ladder right so to say that hey how do you use facebook and every single company trying to brand on facebook would reach out to us either through facebook or otherwise and for us i think the whole the pre order concept that you said was also an interesting experiment right it was uh, turning a, 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 an opportunity you know i would say a threat into an opportunity in the first 3 months we figured we were out of stock so we didn't have enough to sell we were 70% out of stock and we didn't want to lose sales so we said what can we do that we can actually you know get customers to still buy but uh you know not uh, lose them to anyone else right because we had opened up we just didn't anticipate yeah. the first 3 months demand so we got 
sold out so fast that we were just out of inventory uh, for another one or two months. So we said, let's ask customers to pre-order, give them a small benefit for it because they're waiting much longer than anticipated or a standard delivery. Yeah. And then also use that to plan our demand and our supply far better. So we just turned around that into an opportunity and created this thing called pre-order. That was not by intent. We actually wanted to actually deliver by four, five days. But because we didn't have out of stock, we just said, okay, 45 days it is. So, yeah, but uh, a lot of interesting experiments, and but all tied back to three foundational things. Very high on customer centricity, very strong product focus, and somewhere all of this being very consistent visually and on the brand and communication. You know, uh, uh, I read somewhere that scarcity is also a big driving factor for a brand. Uh, maybe that pre-order business did uh, help out a little bit over there <laughs> without, without maybe not by design. Not by design. Yeah. But yeah, no, I, I do agree. At that time we were still seen as uh, premium. And one thing that worked for us is I think a lot of real people were liking us on Facebook. What other brands used to do was buy a lot of likes from bots. So they would get a million likes. But if you see uh, Facebook would say two of your friends like it. Now for us, right. You could only have uh, 20,000 likes or 15,000 likes. But when you go, you would have 45 of your friends like it. And people were puzzled as to what this brand was that a lot of my friends were liking. So we were very concentrated in the way that we went, right? Instead of just spreading thin, we were very concentrated in the kind of likes we were getting. So that also really helped us on Facebook. And Facebook in the first one and a half years was the mm. primary marketing channel through which all word of mouth and everything about us spread. What was the genesis of Urban Ladder, though? Uh, was this what you wanted to build? Like saying, you know what, there's a there's a gap in the market for affordable furniture. Um, and IKEA is probably many years away from India. And then we want to fill that gap because India is a value-conscious market uh, where we could potentially uh, create products uh, either locally or bringing it from abroad. Or, you know, I think China is like the hub for furniture as well these days. Uh, what was the thought process then? And, and this is 2012, where the world is very different from what we know it as today. I think the thought process is very basic, right? In terms of we said, okay, this is a need that we had had when we were setting up our own homes. There was just absolutely no brand that was good quality, good basic service and reasonable pricing, right? Either people were absolutely heavy on price or they were, you know, uh, bad on quality. And they were absolutely horrendous on all of it, right? So we said, okay, it's a very basic requirement. Why on earth is no one been able to solve it? Then when we went into detail, this was around, I would say, end of 2011, early 2012. Uh, we figured that, okay, there are a lot of challenges. We just didn't anticipate that we would have to end up solving every challenge possible on earth. We thought still, we actually studied the ecosystem. We found good manufacturers in Jodhpur. Uh, in Rajasthan and we thought okay at least the manufacturing is sorted but all of these were exporters right so they were exporting to big clients in the US and UK and they were not really making stuff for the local market and local market given the heat given the way pack, you know things get packaged and delivered there were newer challenges that emerged and we had to solve it much later we knew that customers were not uh, buying furniture online we said okay that's the one challenge let's go and solve by building a brand that stands for credibility. So, as you said, D2C was not even a word then. It was not a word even globally. We just figured that we were building a brand. We were very clear we were building a brand which stood for our own furniture. At the start, it was all curated. We didn't design our own furniture. 
but we got into you know designing very soon because we realized that the ones that really stand out or the ones that need to uh, be given for the india market does not exist today so we had to go to the design board and we also had to go to the installation and the delivery board on the other side right which is because we figured that third party logistics providers just did not know how to deliver furniture our nps where we were delivering was 70 our nps where third party logistics providers was delivering was almost 5 or 10 out of 100 we said we can't have this humongous disparity right and and if you're building a customer first business we were very inspired with uh, tony shay and zappos uh and we said we can't really you know build a customer centric business if the nps is 10 out of 100 it has to be at least 50 to 70 out of 100 so so i think i think we got into it thinking we'll solve one or two problems we figured very soon we had to solve four or five problems and uh, that's how the genesis of that whole having to go everything in the brand happened um i'm i'm glad you brought up tony shay uh unfortunately uh he passed but you know he was kind of a guru of of customer service and excellence right uh because i think a lot of books written uh and i referred to that when i built up the customer service at jibong and, and you know i i enjoyed building that whole process um and 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 you referred this uh, quite a lot in in lot of your discussions as well how you try to maintain the nps at above 75 uh you know points Uh, and this is this is kind of gold standard right and i i like the fact that even back in those days you were tracking this uh to the to to such an extreme level saying okay uh, what is the nps for our own delivery partner uh, what is the nps for a, a third party delivery partner uh, maybe there's uh, you know you broke it down to nps by products as well right um, can you take me through uh, kind of how you structured uh, kind of Uh, the nps because people struggle uh, most brands struggle uh, to to identify one north star metric uh, and and nps most of the time gets poo pooed uh, because it is not uh, you know accurate or you know uh, people have ways to neglect that uh, uh, number um, so so how do you think about it how do you get uh, get people to buy into it and how do you structure it i think for us because culturally and why we set out to do what we set out to do we were super inspired by tony shay as i said right and we wanted to say i'll go a step back right when we started it was not even urban ladder right when ashish and me decided that we'll do something it was actually in the grocery space right and over a 2 3 month period we just said okay you know where is it that we are passionate where is the market big where is the need gap the highest we just over 3 4 months finalized on furniture and home decor as the space we wanted to get into uh we only said three things actually even before we decided the space we said one we have to build a business which is uh stand out in terms of its customer service right so we said it has to be the highest nps in the country if not one of the highest in the world okay so we went deep into understanding nps and i'll come to that two is we said we have to have a set of people that we are proud of and whatever they do with the rest of their life professionally urban ladder would have been a big contributor to what they are doing or how they go about it right so that was a big part of what we wanted to build third is we said we have to build a company that stands the test of time in terms of just as a brand or in terms of corporate governance and ethics and just honesty and transparency in the way we deal with everyone right whether that's the government or the suppliers and stuff right these are the only three things we said we didn't we didn't even finalize that it was going to be home and furniture and stuff right 
I go back to this only because this is foundational on the kind of company you want to build. If you're going to build something around costs, be true to that. If you have been, uh, you know, if you want to make money out of it, be true to that. Whatever it is, right? And so when we went deep into NPS, we had cuts in every imaginable way, right? Whether that's by category, whether that's by city, whether that's by, uh, you know, and it was a very simplistic question after the delivery. It was to say, would you, on a scale of one to ten, where nine and ten means you would highly refer us to a friend. Uh, seven and eight means you would be neutral and one to six means you will not and it's a very difficult scale to win on right because yeah. even if you're eight you know india uh, indians are very uh you know conservative in rating people also right so i would give an eight you know nine or a ten means i'm super happy right uh and if you give an eight you don't count as positive for us right so brands actually feel even at 20 to 50 nps is actually re- pretty reasonable right but we said if you have to be the gold standard and be well, right, in India or even in the world, a consumer business at our scale having 70, 75 consistently, except for a few blips here and there, uh, was just unheard of, right? And so we had a lot of cuts by category, by city, by, uh, you know, of course, by month, by week. And we would, every single one who gave us one to six, we would have a personal follow, okay? And that happened continuously. So it was not a random sampling. We would go understand why that was what is it that we had to fix and obviously it would come out to one of three broader reasons that we would have and these were not reasons that can be easily solved either on product quality or on you know delivery or supplier qc and all of that stuff but as long as see you you make everything that you monitor better and if nps is the core of what you monitor you will as a company make sure that every single piece of whether the interaction whether that's a delivery, whether that's an online experience, whether that's just telling the customer or not calling them 10 times to come and deliver, every single part of it you will try and fix. Did you break that down into products? Uh, what was the strategy to understand NPS? Because obviously you can't have NPS at a company level. You need to get into uh, you know, why some things are going wrong or why the NPS is being dragged down by certain aspects. So uh, how, how far did it go? Uh, what was the drill down there? So NPS actually happens at a variety of levels, right? One is you want to do it at a city level because city operations and why a city operations, is it communication at the delivery staff? Is it the time at which products reach a city? Is it something else about the expectation of the customer in terms of quality and value? So you'll have to go deeper into city level NPS because every city has its own sort of expectations of the customer based on certain other local factors. That's number one. Two, you have to go at a category and at a product level because even just a category is not enough. Okay. For example, within sofas, maybe leather sofas have a worse off NPS or fabric sofas have, or let's say within wood, solid wood products have a reasonable NPS. Then you have to go at a category level and even at a product level because what might happen is maybe there's a particular kind of a joint in a product which is causing some issue or maybe it is, you know, causing too much more breakage. See, the thing is, you will largely be able to, you know, the moment you track NPS and understand as to where the detractors are coming from, you will at least be able to fix out where all the flaws are. It is still not going to say where the delight elements need to be. Okay. So then you will have to also go the next level detail on saying, okay, these are all the places where the flaws are and those are easier to fix. Now, how do you get the 9 and 10? Because what if people are, people don't have flaws, but they are at 7 and 8. What is it that the delight element? So you'll have to keep outperforming yourself. What is delight in this year will not be delight the next year because people have started expecting it. So you will have to then go to the next level of what is 9 or a 10, right? 
So you'll have to come at it from both angles, right? Because the easier ones to fix. And there is a variety of cuts you can do, but everything needs some level of statistical significance. So when you're delivering 50,000 orders a month versus when you're doing 300 orders a month, there's only so much categorization, subcategorization you can do. Uh, but uh, you, you, you just, as I said, you just monitor in every single detractor. The moment it becomes a trend line and not an isolated case, you will sort of start fixing it. And that's literally, we had an RCA meeting every week. We would go into, and this all happened right from week one. It is not a, an afterthought. So culturally, any person who came into the system, and that's a huge part, right? Whether that's the associate who's joining the customer service team, whether that's the fresh delivery associate, the first retail uh, associate from fresh in campus, every single person is drilled into their head that NPS is everything in terms of how they'll be measured. And they better not even be in the system if they feel any other way. This last part where you said anybody who gets uh, hired, even from campus, anywhere, it gets drilled to the head that NPS is everything. Now, I think, I believe this is a very important point, right? A lot of startups, uh, businesses don't have that, uh, you know, non-negotiables, right? Where everybody is asked to look at a number every day, every week. And everybody knows, you know, that's the first thing that they get a download of, Right. There is a ready yeah. reckoner for that. And if yeah. that is the case and, and everybody is looking at it and, and discussing it, then, you know, everybody's aligned to the same goal, right? And it starts from the values, right? So we, you go wake up every one of the 1,000, 1,500 people who would have crossed the urban ladder uh, uh, journey one way or the other. I think the only thing they will still remember is our value system, which mm. after year five, it morphed. So it used to be called chefs. It then became Chase. Chefs and Chase had three things in common. So people will never forget these three things, right? The C, H, and S. C stands for customer obsession, okay? So it is drilled into the time you come, the orientation. I will always do an orientation. Everyone would have crossed an orientation with me or me and Ashish. And in that, I will make so much talk about it. In every all hands, we'll talk about it. In the appraisal, that is part of their assessment. In the communication monthly that Ashish sends, it's part of the, his communication. The weekly that they have with their managers, it is part of their. So it's not one time. It is a, till the person exits the system, it is embedded into them, right? And two, in terms of, so C, which is customer obsession, H, which is honesty and transparency, and S, which is stepping up, right? These three are embedded in literally from day one, like a broken record. And only if the leader and this, you know, founders do it at 150%, Will when it goes to some delivery associate in Ahmedabad, it goes at at least seventy five percent, right? So we will have to be like such a broken record as founders in every communication we do, okay? Because there is a loss, you know, of uh, that over, uh, you know, distance and time, right? So yeah. Even when as founders, you know, you work really hard uh, to build some of these aspects, right, which become uh, core to the business. But of course, the success of a business doesn't rely only on this uh, and and you know, the testament is obviously um, you have a lot of uh, capital that you've raised uh, to bring about the brand uh, brand value uh, create products that people love um, in this journey uh, where where did things not you know live up to some of the things that you wanted it to be and and you know was that a miscalculation or was just the market uh, what was you know your learning uh, primarily from I, I believe the last uh, three four years right of the journey 
because i think the first four were were phenomenal uh, there was a meteoric rise of the brand of of the quality of products that you were delivering i think uh, you know in the first four years also we had enough experiments that failed and when capital is there you mask all the failures <laughs> when capital is at a paucity the failures come out bang in the open right so it's not like we had any lesser number of failures in the first four years i would actually argue that years 5 and 6 we had a as i explained right we had a reasonable turnaround and we had some of our best year actually then right i think there were too many factors and usually what happens is success has like a a, a thousand uh, you know uh, angles where failure it's usually the leadership right because uh, we have, we can't blame anyone else right i mean if uh, we have set a high bar and we have not achieved that that's for us to uh, uh take the ownership on and that's exactly how i would look at it right i mean if we had a specific set of outcomes and goals and we could not deliver there were obviously a lot of contributing factors in terms of strategic mistakes in terms of market in terms of but i would honestly if you were to ask me it just was a culmination of a lot of strategic mistakes also right maybe we overcompensated on some strategy maybe the timing of our efficiency was not right we were trying to be efficient in the 17 18 time period uh when the market tanked in the 16 17 time period that people in 18 19 were expecting a lot of momentum and growth and we didn't have momentum and growth to show right if we wanted to do the efficiency thing maybe we should have done it far faster and not taken 18 months to get to that efficiency right also somewhere i would you know say that we probably just either misread the market in terms of what the market needed and or certain discussions didn't go our way right and so we didn't hit some of our outcomes and it's very difficult when see as a startup as a vc funded startup you're always been looked upon for growth that's just the nature of that startup world okay right so when you're not showing growth you have no one else to blame beyond a point right you just have to take that thing that okay maybe we need to be efficient and see even today right urban ladder being acquired by reliance means urban ladder is getting a fourth lease of life right mm-hmm. to be taken to scale and taken and if a brand like reliance acquires an asset it usually means that the asset is pretty strong the price at which they acquired that's a function of the particular situation in the market right and you can't beyond the point uh, you know we've had offers for 6x that uh, earlier right? and it's sort of very difficult uh, to time some of this thing, especially in a in a year where covid came in right so i would say it the brand survives the brand thrives and the whole hope of someone like reliance coming in today is to make sure that the next few years the brand really goes to its full potential there was a time probably a couple of years where the market didn't work to urban ladder's favor we could not land funding because of which we had to take uh, you know from a deal perspective it probably you know was not at its best but really i would say as long as see there are too many stakeholders in any company there is uh, customers there is team members there is financial stakeholders uh, there is the general ecosystem and outside of i would say the financial stakeholders i think avalanche still continues to deliver for everyone else right uh, in terms of uh, whether that's customer satisfaction whether that's the quality of product whether that's vendors suppliers whether that's the team members that continue on in the new journey so i would say that one variable to be optimized for one point in time in a eight year journey can't predict it right it's just uh, right. you know it's not fair to assess the success or the failure of a company uh for one point decision but yeah i mean certainly there were failures there were mistakes that got blown up far more than some of the mistakes that we've done even in the first four years uh and that's purely because i think you know we just didn't hit some of the outcomes in the market didn't uh it didn't work with the market at that time 
is the Indian market, uh, is it still ready for uh, buying furniture online? Because it feels like it's a touch and feel kind of, I mean, I mean, I, I, I thought in 2012, 2013, when I saw the first ads that people were ready to, to buy products at home, not having to touch and feel. But in the last, uh, you know, three or four years, I've seen a lot of brands, including your competitor, Pepper Fry, uh, open up stores uh, and, and to showcase products and, and, you know, have an experience center. Um, is that a function of, you know, that's the only way to increase growth or, um, you know, was that, you know, what the market is asking for? Because that's not what a D2C uh, DNA is right. A DTC DNA is saying, you know what, you order online, you get in the in the in at your home. There's no need for a retail setup, and we're basically taking away all that cost of dealership, having a store, having all these additional costs. So I think DTC has sort of been, you know, uh, customized to whatever people want. But DTC is actually, if you look at it, it's direct to consumer, right? Uh, through without middle persons, and you know, that's the way I would do it, right? In terms of brands and. Online, I think, was a starting channel also because online is the DNA of the company you want to build. You're not building an offline first, an offline heavy company, right? So when a brand goes online, multiple reasons. One, you also are looking at hyperscale. Okay, as a startup, you're looking at hyperscale and the market space of online-only growth may not keep up with the hyperscale that the multiple brands in the space want, right? Because there's been an influx like with Pepperfry, Flipkart, all of the other stuff, right? So you want to grow to be a thousand crore company. Market is not growing 200% online every year, right? On a bigger and a bigger base. So that's not going to happen. So you probably need to adapt to what the market sizing is. Two, when I look at direct consumer, the DNA of these D2C brands better, better be data, digital and online. So when you open a store as a channel towards a consumer, you look at even the store and how to drive traffic to the store to how to engage the customer at the store very, very digitally. Okay. So a store is a channel to reach a customer, right? If a customer for a particular kind of a product, which is, let's say, a higher ticket, like a sofa, like a, and we got some of this data by, we did a lot of trials. We opened our first store only in year five. You have to be customer centric as a D2C brand. That's the number one thing, right? So if a customer does require for certain categories to be bought, to be physically be available, you would rather do it, right? Especially because you're a brand and you're in a non-standard category. So I wouldn't think whether that's offline, whether that's even a Xiaomi app for their mobile phones. Now are at a place where they need on, you know, online stores. It's not like mobile phones hasn't moved to a 35-40% category online. It is just that they feel for the scale at which they need, they need something offline. So I think it is a function of variety of things. As long as the DNA of the company is digital and customer-centric, I would say you're still building a D2C brand. Right and offline just becomes a channel. That's a very interesting way to uh, think about it, right? Because I think people miss that uh, connect, saying, you know what, if you have to reach the customer, uh, I need to find more ways to get them to experience it, so that they can actually start creating that relationship with the brand. Uh, and I think that's kind of the evolution of the market, right? Um, so Reliance is a new suitor for Urban Ladder, uh, and, and hopefully, uh, you know the brand will live on. I think the brand has the brand equity that has been built over many years. What really happened uh, when the news kind of broke that Reliance acquired Urban Ladder was that a lot of your customers uh, came online and started defending the brand as to the kind of value that the brand has added to their lives, right? And this was very interesting. And uh, I was one of those uh, who went 
uh, online and, and shared my experience with Urban Ladder uh, and of course defended uh, the experience that they uh, uh, I'd had um, and and that was really heartwarming right uh, to see all these folks come online and talk about the experience uh, even though uh, you know uh, as far as the investors are concerned uh, it was not a success for them i think we have to you know we have to thank our customers more than our customers to thank us to be honest because i think what the brand became and what the brand was known was also because a lot of early customers really spread goodwill and spread the word and for us we are always indebted to you know all the customers through the life of the brand and even going forward because at the end of the day i think you know for ashish or me right from day one i think it's always been about when we wake up tomorrow we don't want an want an unhappy customer right and whatever we had to do we've always optimized for that right and of course we've made a lot of mistakes along the way but really for us it had always been about that and next came the team right this was sort of and i go back to again you know the starting conversation it was about customers it was about team and it was about being ethical and honest and everything else sort of became after that right and so i wouldn't based on those three aspects i have absolutely uh, not an iota of uh, uh, regret of where it is have you always been a writer have you always uh, you know kind of uh, organize your thoughts because i i saw even your linkedin profile so nicely you have kind of uh, documented your time at every uh, role you you played even your time at urban ladder uh and and you know it was for me it was very refreshing because not a lot of senior uh, folk uh you know write about the things that they've done and and you know uh, most linkedin profiles are just blank right um and and then and now you have your podcast uh one life theory um so i think you're kind of putting all your thoughts into this is is, is that kind of your passion and your hobby that you you continue to nurture on the side so funnily around uh, i would say 13 14 years back there was a there was an internal cognizant blog post uh, uh contest that happened right and i have to thank so cognizant one of your earlier job uh, cognizant was my job uh, earlier to yahoo i was cognizant for four years then with yahoo for four years and then of course you know uh, started urban ladder right um, and for me in cognizant 2007 i think this was uh, uh and so uh, sukumar uh, who was the you know sukumar rajagopal who was the cio at that time he encouraged me to write a blog post i wrote a massive blog post inside cognizant okay it went all the way to ceo francisco rizusa right and actually francisco called me to uh, uh florida to present to his entire leadership team in cognizant i was a manager okay uh, just uh, starting you know 3 years after my mba and i was super kicked about that whole experience that actually the ceo read the blog called me to present to his entire leadership team uh, and i got a lot of kick about uh, writing that and uh, so i have to thank the cognizant folks but it sort of then i went to writing some humor stuff and some uh, uh, i would say pj stuff from my chennai uh, you know experiences <laughs> and uh, somewhere i think i restarted writing only in 2017 2018 after going through all of these experiences because as i said i think you go through so many experiences as an entrepreneur both professionally and personally that i figured being vulnerable was a was a great attribute for a leader and a great attribute generally for me to connect with people and i just could do it more naturally right so so for me if you see me on linkedin or on my podcast which i am pretty irregular at but uh, being vulnerable is a great way to just share and connect with people and i just feel very 
confident in admitting to failures not too many people do that a lot of people mask a lot of people make it sound very positive uh, but i am absolutely happy to say this is where i screwed up and i am take you know able to take ownership of some of that even when others don't want uh because that's what life is right and there's this new aspect of philosophy that's added to my outlook to life in the last 4 years i think it just made me better as a human but that's sort of what you will see reflect on everything whether that's this podcast whether that's a session on clubhouse <laughs> whether that's on twitter whether that's on <laughs> yeah. uh linkedin i think all of us should take life slightly easier should be more willing to share uh and you know there's no blame throwing there's no uh, you know the past is the past this is about making sure that the next set of people who sort of come on board uh do things far better from our experiences they don't have to go through the same failures and i can see that right for me even the antler journey a big part of that is that but uh, yeah that's sort of what made me start writing again i i want to get your antler journey in just a moment um I uh, while I was reading up on uh, for this conversation I found uh, a very interesting post you had made uh, it says the real reasons to start up uh, fall into three buckets um I I would love for you to take our audience through the three buckets and uh, where in the three buckets you fall uh, yourself You will have to tell me the three buckets because I have done right now close to 120 posts and I always think in three and while I'll have one or two which are common uh I might not exactly mimic the three that I put on that day because I write my posts in 10 15 minutes so it's not like all the famous <laughs> stuff why don't you tell me the so, three and I'll so three buckets and I'm reading from your post right uh, uh Rajiv's reasons to start up the real reasons to do a startup fall into three or more of these buckets you love creating something out of nothing you love the joy of getting your hands dirty you love the flow that it gives you that's number 1 number 2 is you have a dying urge to solve an unsolved problem in a new way you're not able to sleep thinking of this problem you have an affinity to solving this problem for the customer segment that's the second bucket and the third bucket a strong urge to create an institution and a legacy that lasts way beyond yourself you want to grow it to scale and grow as a professional along with it i'd love to know from your perspective uh, you know which buckets did you fall under and and you know uh, was this uh, inspired by your journey i think for me it was all three right i would not do something if it is not all three okay um, i whether that's antler whether it was what i did in yahoo and the moment i ha- stop having the flow or the fun i'll be the first one to admit right somewhere in year 6 7 that started happening at double ladder right i was not having the joy of creation or the flow uh, or of uh, you know the institution had come to a particular point and it was so for me all three have to be there in whatever i do uh, at any point in time otherwise it just goes back to one life you know i have one life if there are better people to create this institution or to have flow in this let them come and do it right and for me the reason why all three are important is i just love creating for me solving a problem for someone and creating impact has always been a big part of how i live and creating an institution and a legacy is the story that we all tell ourselves uh but it's a story unfortunately that human kind has to live by right so all three are important whether in reality or as stories and unless i am doing all three in anything that i take up and do i don't think i will be the right person to do that piece right so 
So it's always been all of this in anything that I've taken up and been at for a while. And when one of this starts to starts taking a hit, I start losing my end to on that. So your journey at Antler has just begun. Uh, why don't you give an intro to Antler and, and what you're doing with them? Okay. So Antler is basically helping you at the earliest stage of the startup journey. It's helping very early stage founders. And it's a very thought through reason why, obviously, I decided to do Antler, right? One, I was in the gap after Urban Ladder, figuring out next. And I was very clear that I wanted to uh, be of impact in the Indian startup ecosystem in the earlier stage of the Indian startup ecosystem, right? Because I'm not an investor. I had never invested in anything before, right? So I had to uh, really be the co-founder or the founder of either my own startup or people who are doing that as founders of other startups. I am generally a very ideas guy. I, I love width of ideas and I love going deep into specific areas, which I uh, like whether that's functionally, whether that's specific sectors. I love talking to smart people, which is talent, whether that's hiring, whether that's founders. Uh, and I love the business of using capital to scale and build an institution, right? So if you look at uh, the culmination of these three, which is capital, talent, and ideas, uh, investing is right bang at the middle of it, right? I didn't want to just be a VC investor, right? Because, you know, there you're really playing the capital game. Of course, you're the ideas and talent game. But uh, there are, I would say, 50, 100 other better people than me. I wanted to go and goes back to the Urban Ladder days. We love creating categories. I love creating something out of nothing, right? So if you look at where Antler plays, there is seed stage funding where entrepreneurs have already created something and are trying to raise anywhere from $500,000 to $1 million, right? And that's, let's call it seed stage, right? And there's a bunch of seed stage investors. There's so much more capital. There's so many more investors today in India. We go at one stage earlier where the founders, there are, I would say, four sub-stages before that. One is I have just created something. I don't have enough traction. I'm in the process of creating something. I have just doing customer validation. I'm yet to start creating something. And I am dabbling with a lot of ideas. Okay, so what I call stage four, three, two, and one. Okay, the earlier it is, the more, uh, you know, just early in the nature, you know, journey it is. Antler's job is to really go and help you across these four stages in some form or the other, right? There are no institutions. There are a few accelerators and incubators which have tried their hands, but no one does a bang-up job in terms of providing the ability to help that founder build their stuff, as well as something unique that Antler does is to take startups global, right? Because, and that's what I loved about Antler and partnering with Antler, the global institution. For me, Antler India is a startup in itself. Right. So the way I look at Antler India is it's a startup that's helping startups. Right. And it's an institution that's being built in the next 10 years to do what, you know, uh, can we create a thousand startups in the next 10 years? Okay. And thousand scalable VC fundable startups because the job of Antler is not just entrepreneurship or founders, but it is actually to get them to scale and to be unicorns. Right. Because for me, a unicorn is a great proxy for companies that achieve scale. Uh, while I could not do that with Urban Ladder, there's no reason why I can't try and do that with 10 other companies in the next decade. Uh, use my learnings, use all of whatever I have learned uh, to do a far better job in this avatar and do that with uh, 100 other smarter founders than me and really be the support for them to be able to do that. So I think that's sort of the avatar with Antler. And it's been a great start in the first seven months because, you know, we have set the team. We have thrown open the program for the first set of applications. We've got 1,700 applications. Uh, we have to pick 25 founders now to work with. 
to help them in this very early part. We brought in a bunch of tech account uh, founders and uh, uh, you know to come in as investors. Uh, so there's a lot of very positive momentum and action. You'll be seeing a lot of antler this decade of uh, India startups. Uh, fantastic, uh, Rajiv. Uh, wish you the best of luck with your in your new avatar. Uh, appreciating the time to to chat and and talk about your journey. Thank you so much, and it's been obviously a pleasure sharing uh, all of this. And I would say, you know, at the end of the day, professionally, personally, as long as we are doing things which by choice and impacting certain lives outside of our own, I think there's a lot of joy. And I just touched forty-two uh, last August. Uh, they say forty-two, you get the answer to everything. I think I got the answer to everything, which is I figure people. Uh, and as long as you are with people, whether that's having a one-hour conversation on a podcast or working day in and day out, uh, you respect the people, you have fun with those people, and you have an exchange of ideas uh, and shared values. I think you will be all fine in this world. So that's my biggest realization over forty-two years of my life. If there was one learning, that's the only learning. So, uh, so I just align a lot of stuff that I do with uh, people that I like, and just be true and honest and. Uh, be vulnerable because that's a great way to relate to people. So thanks again. Awesome talking to you.